1,000 trail miles, one year. This podcast follows Sammy Potter and Jackson Perrell on their attempt of the calendar year triple crown of hiking. I'm Zoe Gates, and this is Impossible Odds. Meryl exists to share the simple power of being outside. Hell yeah, love that. No matter who you are, where you came from, who you love or how you move, everyone should be welcome in the outdoors and wherever life takes us. Meryl strives to inspire everyone because together we can help protect the trail that we love. Our goal is to provide thoughtfully designed, rigorously tested outdoor products that over-deliver on performance, versatility, and durability. This is important not just if you're through hiking, but for everyday walking or running as well. So we're back on the Pacific Crest Trail and heading southbound to where we left off in Oregon. And I'm really starting to like second guess our decision to take the Big Sky alternate. On September 20th, Sammy and Jackson finished the Continental Divide Trail, having hiked from New Mexico to the trail's northern terminus over 66 days. In the last episode, we talked about an alternate route that they took, called the Big Sky Alternate, which allowed them to avoid wildfires and shave off some mileage. For those who don't know what that is, um, once you get up to like West Yellowstone area on the CDT, uh, there's an alternate that uh, cuts off a pretty large number of miles, I think it's like 200 or something, that uh, continues like more directly north than um, the official route, which goes along the Idaho-Montana border for a while and then cuts north and then cuts um, back east. And we connected around like the Helena area. I'm in a state of kind of turmoil, <laughs> to be honest. Most of the people I talked to who were on the Continental Divide Trail this year took the Big Sky alternate as we did because there are so many fires this year and especially the smoke along the Idaho-Montana border um, was pretty bad and you know that was kind of the basis that we made our decision on somewhat was based off of the smoke but you know inherently that kind of is almost like or felt almost serendipitous for us in a way because it allowed us to to cut off like a fair number of miles and I just wonder if like subconsciously I was actually making that decision not based off of the smoke in the fires but based off of like wanting to try to get to the end quicker. On the CDT, alternate routes are an inherent part of the experience. Without a continuously blazed trail from New Mexico to Canada, most thru-hikers meander in places and the same exact path is rarely taken twice. So, by CDT standards, Sammy and Jackson's divergence onto the big sky still makes for a legitimate thru-hike. But Sammy is still left with an unsettled feeling about it. Something I believe, like, really strongly is that what's important is not just, like, you know, getting to the top, not just getting to the end, but how you do it. Um, what's important, I think, is how you do it. It's what's most important. Um, and uh, part of me feels as though we like cheapened the um, uh, the attempt in a way by doing that. You know, I mean, obviously we still 
uh, hiked from Mexico to Canada on the Continental Divide Trail. And as things stand right now, you know, we are getting relatively close to the end. I mean, that's insane, the end. And, you know, I'm basically questioning, like, well, things still could have worked even if we had taken that harder, harder route. I'm really just being super hard on myself about this. You know, I've been up both of the last two nights, which sucks because I need to get sleep. And I only got like four and a half last night and like six the night before. Um, I'm pretty reluctant to mention this to Jackson right now um, because I think, you know, there's a lot of excitement around finishing and I just need to think about this more um, before I bring it up to him because I don't want him to feel as though I'm saying I'm discrediting what we did or what he did or anything like that. But, you know, I, I want to feel satisfied with what we've done at the end of this. And I just need to think about whether I'm going to be satisfied with what we've done and finishing the PCT or whether, you know, I'm going to need to go back and redo that 500 mile section on the official CDT route. Redoing 500 miles of trail is no small task. Especially with fall in full swing and winter on the way, Sammy and Jackson are on a race against time that only gets more urgent every day. If they find themselves in Washington's Cascade Range come winter, they could face dangerously cold temperatures and snowstorms that would expose them to risk and dramatically slow their pace. I also just wonder why I'm feeling like this. And... Two biases I have right now are, one, I'm just not ready to be done for so many reasons, because I'm just not ready to be done. I love this so much. It's all I know right now, and while I'm excited for, you know, life beyond this, um, I, I just want to I wanna stay out here. I want to keep uh, doing big miles and seeing beautiful places and pushing myself and feeling all the purpose and satisfaction I've felt um, throughout most of this journey. And then secondarily, I think I'm just starting to feel a, light, a little bit less satisfied. And I wonder if I'm just searching for a reason for why that might be and assigning this reason to my um, dissatisfaction. Because if you told me, like, you know, at the beginning of this, that we'd be close to finishing right now, I'd be so amped. I'd be like, yeah, we basically are almost at our goal. That's amazing. Um, and we are almost at our goal. But I just, I don't, it doesn't feel as uh, perfect as I expected it to feel. And I don't, I can't point to exactly why. They may be close to their goal, but that doesn't mean it's smooth sailing from here. Sammy and Jackson still have nearly a thousand miles to hike, from the trail's northern end in Washington to where they left off in Oregon. Then they'll hop down to Northern California to finish on a 40-mile section that they skipped due to raging wildfires earlier in the year. Absolutely banging out miles these last couple of days. My golly, banging out miles. Um, 
Yeah. We got to the border of Hearts Pass after a 30 mile hike in. Uh, that was, okay, let me back up. Um, we drove through the night after finishing the CDT, 2 p.m., around 2 p.m. on September 20th. We drove through that night from the northern terminus of the CDT in Montana to the access point for the northern terminus of the PCT in Washington. The access point, I say, uh, because you can't just drive directly to the terminus of the PCT. You gotta drive to Hearts Pass, which is 30 miles south of the terminus. So that day, we got there around 1 p.m. or so. We hiked 20 miles in, didn't quite reach the border. The next day, we hiked, touched the border, the famous uh, PCT northern terminus, turned around, hiked back. So since then, that day was 38 miles. The following day, which was yesterday, wow, 35 miles. And today is going to be about 33 miles. And uh, we'll see if we can keep this pace. Uh, it's uh, sort of balanced because I'm praying, praying to God that we get out of Washington before uh, a big snowfall comes or before seasonal rain comes in and doesn't leave because I know that's what happens. The rain comes in and it can rain for a month, two months. It can rain nonstop for a very long time. So right now we've been blessed with some beautiful weather. We cannot take this for granted. Uh, at the same time, I do not want to get injured. Uh, I would rather spend one or two days in tough conditions because we went a little bit slower than go way too hard and get a stress fracture with, you know, just seven, 800 miles left to go. So the name of the game, I think, is uh, aggressive steadiness. Not steadily aggressive, aggressive steadiness. It's hard to know where that line is, you know, because we could do 35, 36, 37 mile days consistently right now, even with this much elevation. But uh, I think that could risk injury, but it's also absolutely beautiful. There's a reason they call this God's country. We'll be right back. Not all shoes are created equal. Believe me, having a bad or unsupportive shoe makes a big difference. So when you're heading outdoors, skip the sneaker and step into the Merrill Moab. Moab's a sick place, and uh, these are sick shoes. From crossing trail to crossing town and everywhere in between, you get more traction, more stability, and more comfort. So next time you take a hike, get more out of every single step. Join us outside at Merrill.com. Just made it to the top of the second pass of the day in uh, the Northern Cascades. And uh, feeling great. Just ran into someone actually I saw back in the desert uh, earlier hiking the PCT like literally six months ago. He got off trail as well. Um, he had a, he's a performer and uh, he went and performed in a play for about six weeks and then got back on trail and as luck would have it we had a serendipitous uh run into each other about halfway up this pass he was on his way down 
he's going north. Um, and he'll be done in a few days, but that really fucking boosted my spirits. Um, got six miles left on this 35-mile day, and I, I just, I feel good. But um, I have a couple thoughts gnawing at me right now, unfortunately. Well, I won't say unfortunately. I just have a couple thoughts gnawing at me. Um, one is, like, things are going super well right now, and I almost wonder if they're going too well and we're getting a little arrogant and that's going to result in uh, like injury or something going wrong. Um, I was getting hurt and messing up this good streak we've got going. And uh, as they say, uh, pride goes before the fall. Could in this case mean like a literal fall. Um, anyways, I'm just probably being paranoid, but I don't know if there's anything I've learned from uh, studying Greek tragedy in my uh, high school English class. It's it's that uh, hubris is uh, the biggest folly a man can make. And uh, it was the downfall of Odysseus, countless other tragic figures. And I just, I don't know why I'm comparing us to them. God, I really am being arrogant, huh? Um, but... Yeah, we're doing huge days, and I'm starting to feel, like, a little bit effective. Like, my feet hurt a little bit, but just a little bit, and I'm quite stiff. But I don't know, it's super tempting just to keep sending it. And uh, the other thought gnawing at me right now is that I'm just not ready to be done with this. You know, um, like, I love this. <laughs> I fucking love it. As long as I feel good and healthy... And there's nowhere I would fucking rather be than on top of a mountain pass looking at looking at uh, this glacier peak that I'm looking across at right now. We're at 6,000 feet, and that's a couple thousand feet higher. There's hella snow on that one. Um, maybe the only other place I'd want to be right now is on top of glacier peak. But then I wouldn't get to look at it. So, anyways, it's just, it's, it's addicting. And, uh, you know, we're closing out on like 800 miles till we till we finish and uh at this rate that's gonna be like less than a month and uh I don't know man I don't know it's hard to describe uh, man what the fuck is next like how do you how do you go up from here? Alright, I'm gonna shut up now. After we hit White's Pass tomorrow, uh, we will be going over something called Knife's Edge. So many things in the United States called Knife's Edge, but... Uh, yeah, it's also looking like the weather's uh, kind of turning south a little bit for us. Rain's coming in up high at that elevation. It's more than likely it will be uh, somewhat snowy. Could this be it? Could this be the uh, dreaded winter we've been thinking about for so long? We're about 600 miles away from the finish. And uh, yeah, this, this could be the winter we've been thinking about for so long. We'll see though. Looks like maybe it's gonna get sunny again for a couple days after tomorrow. I don't know. I don't wanna get my hopes up. Just have to be okay with the fact that 
there may be uh, winter uh, coming upon us right now, and it's unavoidable if it does. Eventually, the boys finally do meet winter in full force as they traverse the knife edge through the Goat Rocks Wilderness in Washington. Here's Sammy. So my fears about Knife's Edge were about on par with what it ended up being. The day started at White's Pass at around 5,000 feet. It began raining around like 10 a.m. We had sort of a gradual climb up to the tree line and then that's when things started getting really steep. As you ascend um, in rain, the higher you get, the more frozen it is gonna get because it's colder and colder and colder as you go up. And so this started out as rain. When we got to 6,000, 6,500 feet, it turned to freezing rain. And then when we got above about 6,800, uh, it turned to snow. And the knife's edge stands at between like 7,700. So once we got up there, it was basically a complete whiteout. Winds going from about 20 to 40 mile per hour, uh, which are all right when they're consistent, but when there's gusts, it gets quite sketchy. Here's a clip Sammy managed to record while on the knife edge. I just scrambled up some scree. There was like three feet on either side of me. My adrenaline is pumping a lot right now. Um, yeah, just gotta stay calm, keep pushing through. The only way out is through. Uh, my buddy Philip said that to me a couple months ago. The only way out is through. And uh, yeah, it looks like I'm basically at the middle point of Knife's Edge. There's like four big ups and downs and I'm kind of on the way up the third one. So like one of the lower points on the, uh, on the section. I think it's about two miles till we start going downhill for a while. The snow was coming down so quickly that Jackson, who was no more than like a half mile behind me, uh, told me they were covering up my tracks so he couldn't see the, my tracks by the time he got to where, where I was, which means, you know, snow's coming down pretty fast. When we turned this one corner and I, and I saw a knife's edge, I, I got the first glance of it. I, uh, the wind was going so fast, whipping these bits of freezing rain and snow into my face. And uh, this spot seems pretty seems pretty clean right now. But the last mile took me like 45 minutes. Something like that. Uh, trying to get a little low center of gravity on those sections because, uh, yeah, just worried about getting blown and losing my footing something. The thing that felt so sketchy about this was there were drop-offs on either side. Uh, at some points, the drop-offs were only like 20 feet. And other places, they were more like 200 feet. Or at least to enough to know that if you fell, that would probably be the end of you. So that's one thing. But at the same time, we're basically scrambling over this ridge line, going up at like, at certain points, going up at almost 70, 80 degree angles with scree coming down so you can't really get a solid footing. The visibility was like I would say maybe 30% visibility. Um, I have these pair of ski goggles that I was wearing because uh, I was just getting blinded by the snow 
rip in my face and uh goat rocks wilderness which is where nice edge is usually considered one of the most beautiful places on the pacific crest trail because uh, you can get a view of mount rainier uh, and then sculpture like rocks and and formations that are sort of otherworldly uh, but for us with the visibility so low uh, you know, I really just saw what was right in front of me and how big the drop-offs were. And, uh, frankly, that's all I really wanted to see because if I wasn't focusing uh, during this snowstorm, man, it could have been bad. <laughs> so, finally got to the other side of Knife's Edge. And there's a big campsite area there. So, tons of, like, flat spaces and stuff like that. But the trail is really hard to find right there. Uh, so I was just going down following basically my map for about 20, 30 minutes. Finally saw some cairns which indicate where the trail goes. I had one of those moments where for a bit I thought, you know, that the sketchiness was over and my adrenaline kind of calmed down, started to feel pretty fatigued. But then I was right back on high alert when I realized I had no idea where to go. But I knew above all, I just had to keep moving. Because uh, honestly, I felt like that was the most dangerous thing was how cold it was up there. In retrospect, I feel kind of bad for not waiting for Jackson. Uh, initially, we had discussed maybe getting together right before Goat Rocks. And... Uh, he had told me, you know, if it gets really sketchy, would you mind just waiting for me? The problem with that is, it's just very hard to judge in the moment how sketchy something is. And if you're in a sketchy situation, you don't necessarily want to stop because that could cause more danger. Um, so I ended up telling him that I would just wait for him before uh, the trail exited tree line, which is what I did. He passed by me and he stopped. I passed by him and at that point, seemed like we were close enough to me, like within a half mile that we can just keep going. Um, when I ran into him at sunset when I was waiting uh, much later in the day, he told me that it, it was feeling pretty sketchy. And I guess the snow kind of picked up like right behind me. So it was snowing even harder on him. So yeah, I feel sort of bad for not waiting at the in the moment you know um because you know i want to be there to uh to uh to just be there you know when when anything is feeling sketchy and uh uh even if to me the danger felt relatively marginal uh you know that's completely subjective and i know there have been situations where i felt it was more dangerous and jackson felt more lax about it so in the in the opposite scenario uh, you know, I think it's it's sort of incumbent upon each of us to be there for each other and I mean, that's the whole point of having a partner, right? Among a lot of other reasons and uh, Yeah, I think it's pretty late in the game for me to make a mistake like that and uh, Yeah, just just has me reflecting on uh, You know, I, I want to be the best best partner that I possibly can and uh yeah, this is definitely weighing, it's weighing on me, but, you know, he, he didn't make a big deal out of it. I could just tell that, um, you know, he had wished that I waited. And, uh, 
yeah, I'm 100% going to do that in the future. Be better than be better than I was this time. All right, I'm really leaning towards wanting to do the Big Sky alternate right now. Just tripped a little bit. If there's any chance that I'm going to regret having not done it, then I want to do it. And I think the amount that I'm thinking about it right now is a good indication that I will uh, continue to have mixed feelings about it if we don't go back and do it. At this point, I think I need to bring it up to Jackson. Yeah, I think I'm going to do it today. Just gather my thoughts a little bit because, you know, it's pretty consequential conversation. But I think I got to do it. At least talk to him about it. I slept on my thoughts about the Big Sky alternate again uh, last night and honestly woke up thinking about it. That was the first time I had woken up thinking about it. And I still feel this hole of wondering whether I have compromised my values and compromised my morals by taking a shorter route. And I also feel guilty at this point for not having brought it up to my partner, Jackson, because, you know, I know he's looking forward to being finished and having some time to recuperate and eventually go back to school. Uh, but I feel like if this is something I'm seriously considering, um, and something I, I want him to be aware of, uh, so hopefully he would, if I were to do it, he would come with me and, and we'd do it together. Um, I feel like it's only fair that I'd give him a large heads up, but I also am very hesitant to bring it up because I know it's a pretty emotionally charged conversation to have and if nothing ends up coming of it and we just decide to and uh, we both independently decide to not do it and be you know, satisfied with with uh, the way we finished the Continental Divide Trail, then at that point there would have almost been like no purpose to just creating all that sort of uh, emotional roller coaster. And I don't want to rock the boat if I don't necessarily need to. But I also just uh, I also feel as though it's sort of unfair of me not to let him know what's going through my head because I'm sure it's impacting the way that um, we're interacting. Like I just, my mind is pretty occupied by this. Just taking an off day and um, got news that I guess my grandfather's not doing so well. Um, I had known he had some issues and 
I had thought that it had gotten a lot better, um, and I guess it has gone really downhill in the last week, a week and a half. It's not looking very optimistic. I can't really even fathom the thought of uh, him passing. It just made me think a lot of things. The first is, like, oh my god, I have been on, on trail for so long, like 10 months. I've missed so much, and I feel, like, guilty in a way. I haven't seen my grandparents in so long. Um, I haven't seen any of my cousins or extended family in a long time. I've only seen my sisters and my parents, like, twice. And, uh, I mean, that's all because of me, you know, decisions that I made. And I just feel guilty about that, you know? Not that, like, you know, in this situation, I would have been helpful at all. But uh, just I feel bad for not being there. My grandpa's somebody I look up to so much. I'm probably my biggest role model growing up. Just for his, uh, for his steadfastness, for his steadiness, for his love of family. He's uh, the hardest worker I've ever met. And uh, I think kind of, I've tried to emulate his work ethic in my life. And yeah, I mean, he's such a big part of who I am. That, you know, I, I feel like I have so much more to learn from him, you know? Uh, and it, time is so precious. And I mean, he's lived an incredibly rich life with, with so many ups and downs and has made such an impact on the people he's lived and worked with, the community around him. I've always just wanted to make him proud. I always wanted to make my parents and him and my family proud, and especially him. I called him yesterday, and uh, we were able to talk about some really special memories. You know, I think he takes a lot of pride in what, what we're doing right now. I think I get a lot of my motivation comes from him. And, you know, it was really special to hear him say how proud he is of what, what I'm doing and what we're doing. And it just made me want to, like, it, a, it just it made me want to finish for the purposes of trying to go and see him as soon as possible. And secondarily, it made me want to finish this to, to make him proud. Next time on Impossible Odds. So we made it to where we left off in Oregon. Let's go. We finished the calendar year Triple Crown. But wait, we actually didn't. You remember that forest fire started while I was hiking it? They closed the trail right after I passed through the trailhead. You remember that? What that meant, though, is that we had to skip that section. And if you want to finish calendar year Triple Crown, you have to through-hike each of these trails. And to us, that means connecting all your footsteps. This podcast was written and hosted by Sammy Potter with contributions from Jackson Perrell. Our producers are Louisa Albanese and me, Zoe Gates. Wooly Music is our composer and sound designer. And Tim Massa is our assistant story editor. 
you enjoyed this episode of Impossible Odds, please subscribe and leave us a review.